0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review.
1: Three Martinis coming up. Hey, very glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've got two good martinis for you today and one crazy one that's really masking, uh, again, a horrible policy at our southern border. But, uh, Jim, for this one... And this wasn't exactly the most audacious prophecy that we've ever had on this podcast, but it's already come true. It was just last Friday that we were talking about Joe Biden flip-flopping on D.C. Home Rule as it pertained to the soft-on-crime legislation that the D.C. City Council spit out recently with softer penalties for carjackings and other things. And so, with Senate Democrats, at least the moderate ones, balking at that, Biden decides to give him some cover, says he'll sign the legislation that already passed the House. The problem was, 173 House Democrats assumed he was going to veto it, or at least had uh, strongly opposed it, and so they feel hung out to dry. And so, uh, not only did we say Biden made the right decision, but it makes easy attack ads against Democrats. In fact, just last Friday, Here was our prediction about the type of ads that could be created. Congressman Smith is going easy on carjacking. And it it just writes itself. Even President Biden thought this, you know, (laughs) it's, it's ready made. Yep, and here it is. This one specifically targeting my Congresswoman, unfortunately, Abigail Spanberger in Virginia's 7th district.
0: Murderers given reduced sentences. Carjackers given slaps on the wrist by
1: pandering politicians. Not just the D.C. City Council. 173
0: House Democrats voted to support reduced sentences for violent crimes. So crazy, even President Biden won't support the anarchy. What's next? Defund the police? Tell Abigail Spanberger to keep Virginia families
1: safe. National Republican Congressional Committee is responsible for the content of this advertising. And it's not just Spanberger. They've made dozens of those uh, targeting uh, Democrats and. Fairly competitive district. So, Jim, again, not hard to see that this was coming. I'm a little surprised it came this quickly, but uh, what do you make of the NRCC and how much damage do you think it can do to some of these House Dems?
2: Strike while the iron is hot. Uh, after Biden made this announcement, there was a statement put out by the NRCC saying the ads write themselves. And apparently they did, which is how they were able to get them out so quickly. Um, <laughs> the other thing I was thinking about is like, look, if you're a member of the House, Chances are at some point in the course of the hundreds of votes you take, you're going to take a vote, you're going to vote a certain way and your constituents won't like it. it. It's, you know, almost inevitable that either your sense of right and wrong and the right course will be in contrary to that of the majority of your constituents or party loyalty. You'll really the the party whips will be really on you and leadership will say we really need your vote on this vote or something and you'll decide to risk it. Um, or you'll just you know not underestimate the consequences of crossing your constituents or you'll feel like it's close enough that this won't be a killer issue but if you're gonna go against your constitu- if you're gonna take an unpopular vote you probably want it to be something worthwhile Democrats knew that by passing Obamacare there was a really good chance they were gonna lose the House of Representatives but they really wanted to do that they really thought it was worthwhile to get more people covered under medicaid um and they're like okay this is the obama legacy this is you know all or nothing uh we got to do this and they took the votes and they passed the legislation and then they did lose the house or a whole bunch of you know yellow dog democrats you know were voted out but in i'm sure in a lot of their minds it was worth it nobody really cares that much about the policies of the district of columbia unless you live there or work there uh you know that's generally not a big central one so my suspicion is is that if there wasn't a perception that biden was going to uphold this, that you would not have had 81% of Democrats saying, yes, the D.C. Council could do it, do whatever it wants, even if that means reducing sentences for carjackers. I think if you, you know, maybe it would have split more down the middle, maybe a minority of Democrats would have stuck by it. But if they really if they knew the president was going to change his mind on this, you would not have gotten 81% to go this way. So it's not just that they took a bad vote. It's that they took a bad vote over nothing. They, they don't get the D.C. Council. They don't get any points for sticking up for home rule. And the president has now made it easier for Republicans. So it really is, you know, a bitter uh, a bitter pill to swallow uh, for House Democrats. They really did get let out on a limb. And now the NRCC is scoring over it. And again, like they're getting painted as soft on crime over a policy that pro- decision that really doesn't have that much to Im- impact uh, on their constituents back home in their districts.
1: Are they getting hung out to dry? Absolutely. Do I have the slightest molecule of sympathy for them? Absolutely not. Here's the Axios story uh, that goes along with this ad campaign. It says, House Democrats have been incensed at Biden for waiting until after the House vote to say he won't veto the legislation, giving swing seat House Democrats less cover to vote for it and bolster their tough-on-crime credentials. Jim, you know what the best way is to bolster your tough-on-crime credentials? Don't go soft on crime when you're voting on things. Yeah. Yeah. If you try that, you wouldn't be in this mess in the first place. (laughs) That's right. You know, last I heard, you promised your constituents, I'm going to go and be a voice for you. Instead, it's like, but the president said he was in this position. So, of course, I went there. Yeah. Nice independence, uh, House Democrats.
2: Very hard to believe that that many House Democrats were willing to, you know, take the hit over the independence of the D.C. Council. Very hard to believe that that's an issue that matters that much to them that they're willing to lose their seats.
1: All right, Jim, on to our second good martini now. And watching the left foam at the mouth over President Trump and Governor DeSantis at the same time is quite entertaining. And over at MSNBC, that's basically enough to cover all of their content for the 24 7 news cycle. And sometimes it happens in the very same comment. This happened recently when uh, presidential historian Michael Beschloss, who is always a lefty, but seemed to be sane and then ever since trump showed up he's one of those people that just went completely off the reservation but uh, so the initial question uh to bash was this is going to be weird if trump gets charged with anything related to january 6 he could have an indicted former president running for president again that's unprecedented and so bash goes off for a minute on how that would be historic and how he thinks trump is also physically unfit to be president Never a word about Biden, of course. But then he uh, pivots on a dime, completely unprompted, to attack Governor DeSantis as even worse, of course. And here's what he said.
0: But the even more dangerous thing, Stacy and Michael, is that, you know, people who try to get a nomination in parties, you know, do it by trying to appeal to what they think will work. Well, look what Rick DeSantis has done in Florida. <laughs> he was known as sort of a nondescript uh, political leader member of congress suddenly he really has tried to turn himself into sort of a local mussolini in florida with the book banding and the brutal tactics and even this week this suggestion that bloggers have to register with the state for the honor of writing about the governor and other other political leaders we have to call this what this is this is fascism and authoritarianism that goes even beyond what trump has talked about that's what he thinks is going to work in that party and in a way that's the scariest thing of all Just as predictable as the NRCC
1: ad campaign is uh, MSNBC saying Ron DeSantis is more dangerous than Donald Trump, and calling him Rick DeSantis uh, makes it even more entertaining. Basically, what happened here is one Florida lawmaker put forward a piece of legislation suggesting all political bloggers... Uh, reporting or writing about Florida need to register with the state. And so people like Michael Beschloss and reporters all across the country immediately said this was a DeSantis bill. This was from DeSantis. This is DeSantis accumulating power and uh, crippling the First Amendment. Well, not so much, because uh, here's what Ron DeSantis said. I believe this was just yesterday.
0: Every person in the legislature can file bills, right? I see these people filing bills and then there's articles with my face on the article saying that, oh, they're going to have to, re- bloggers are going to have to register for the state. And it's like attributing it to me. And I'm like, OK, that's not anything that, that, that I've ever supported. I don't support.
1: So, Jim, I think this is good in a couple of different ways. First of all, DeSantis clarified that. And I think it's good that he did. I don't think the government should be regulating bloggers that way. But number two, it shows you how absolutely terrified the left is of Ron DeSantis.
2: Yeah, I, I suppose maybe the historian Michael Beschloss could say that, look, I was thinking of Ron DeSantis' evil twin, Rick, and that's what uh, – or, or maybe Rick and Morty or something like that. But uh, uh, No, it, so just this past weekend, I had a good friend who lives in Florida come up and uh, – he said to me, ah, did you hear about it? You know, you're you're a blogger. You might have to register if you're going to write about DeSantis. And I'm like, I roll my eyes. And I said, yeah, it's just some one idiot Yahoo state legislator. And my friend says, yeah, but, you know, that's how it starts. There's only one idiot state legislator. And then it turns into, you know, gathers support. And a few years down the road, it becomes reality. That can happen. That's not often happened. And I'm glad that many people instantly pointed out this is like, you know, not only would this get struck down by pretty much any court as being unconstitutional and violating the First Amendment. Greg, I think the Supreme Court would, you know, not just have an expedited review. I think they might establish a drive-through lane uh, for those. I'd like to get a a, a mixed struck down and a side of fries with that, please. This would, you know, not not pass any judicial review by any stretch of the imagination. And that idiot state lawmaker has done you know, the causes he believes in and Ron DeSantis and Republicans, a great disservice and, you know, hindered their efforts to move the ball in the right direction by introducing such an idiotic, unconstitutional idea. It is a little annoying of this. It is good that DeSantis came out and said this. And now DeSantis has one more good example of how the mainstream media does not cover him, never mind in a fair way, it just in an accurate way. Um, and the degree to which they attributed this bill to him when he had not, uh, not introduced it, not supported it, not proposed it, and in fact, opposes it. It's more of the same, but I think it's also an indicator, you know, the fact that they feel a need to attribute policies to DeSantis that he doesn't hold and does not believe in support is an indicator that they're having a harder time attacking him on the policies that he does support and that he does enact and he has
1: enacted in place. Yeah. And just to see how he's changed uh, the political landscape in Florida in four years is absolutely staggering. So, uh, yeah, the Democrats are worried. They know that uh, Trump's approval ratings are struggling and they know that Ron DeSantis is the most likely alternative. So they're trying to nuke both of them simultaneously. And uh, this was a, a major miss on their part. And it's good on a number of fronts because that is a terrible bill. And I'm glad Ron DeSantis doesn't support it. All right, we can talk about political health, but we can also talk about actual health, and that means taking care of your liver. Are you drinking too much? Are you eating all the wrong stuff? Are you not getting exercise? Well, fatty liver can creep up on you. A hundred million Americans have it, and that makes all of you three and a half times more likely to have heart failure than those who don't have it. And so, get rid of that sluggish fatty liver that makes us gain weight and lose energy, and the good news is, we've got a great tool to help us along.
2: The solution is called Liver Health Formula. It's an all-natural supplement that contains 12 clinically proven botanicals that will help recharge and protect your liver. It's manufactured right here in the United States, and it's approved by American doctors.
1: You can try Liver Health Formula and receive five free gifts when you order today. First, you'll get a free bottle of nano-powered omega-3 to help your heart get healthy, and you're also getting four free eBooks to support every aspect of your health. Try Liver Health Formula by going to GetLiverHelp.com dot com slash martini and claim your five free bonus gifts. That's getliverhelp.com slash martini. All right, Jim, for our crazy martini, let's head over to the White House briefing room. Corinne Jean-Pierre, no stranger to the crazy martini or the bad one. Uh, yesterday, Peter Ducey of Fox News pointing out You know, we've got a lot of fentanyl coming across the border, killing a lot of Americans, record numbers of Americans, in fact. And also, we've just had Americans literally killed by cartels right along the border in the last few days. And so why is President Biden so quiet about this? Why does he seem so comfortable with all of this happening? And here is Corinne Jean-Pierre's rejoinder.
0: Well, let's be very clear. Let me take on the drug part here because since you brought this up, um, because of the work that this president has done, because of what we've done specifically on fentanyl at the border, it's at historic lows, historic levels uh, that we have been able to uh, record a number of personnel working to secure the border because of what we've been able to do. Seizing that fentanyl, uh, we've done it in a historic way. That's because of what this president has done.
1: I guess it's because of what this president has done. I think we'd have a much more wide ranging conversation about what this president hasn't done when it comes to the border, Jim. But uh, in terms of suggesting that fentanyl is far less of a threat in this country because of the Biden administration, that's insane.
2: Yeah. First of all, when she says it's at historic lows, no, nothing is at historic lows uh, regarding fentanyl uh not the levels of abuse not the amount being trafficked not the overdoses where she starts to pivot to later in her presentation is that the amount that's been seized is at an all-time high which is good news but that also is an indicator that a lot more fentanyl is coming across the border and it's no less than the department of uh drug enforcement administration uh that says look you know the amount that's coming across the border is consistent with the overdose death data, trafficking distribution, abuse, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, when those numbers go up, it means more is coming across the border. So no, it is not at an all-time low. It's conceivable that the next batch of data will will indicate some reduction from the previous all-time high, but that's really not that's kind of like what they were saying about inflation for a while. You know, this the smallest improvement does not mean the problem is solved. Um, I don't think there's a good argument to be made other than we're dumping resources into it and we're trying hard. Uh, so far, that has not worked out very well for Americans. And I think that it is very tough to separate the increase in the use of fentanyl from the fact that we have an insecure border and the bad guys have a way to get it across the border. You know, we are you know, getting it through ports. OK, maybe we got, you know we've gotten better at that. I mean, I put the numbers in there uh, yesterday that, you know by the end of last year, the DEA announced they had seized 50.6 million fentanyl-laced fake prescription pills and more than 10,000 pounds of fentanyl powder in the calendar year of 2022. They added it up and said that represents about 379 million potentially deadly doses of fentanyl. Yes, for those of you who can, you know, vague memory of the census numbers, the U.S. has about 336 million people. So what we seized last year is enough to kill every man, woman, and child on Earth, if you just lined everybody up and gave everybody just enough to kill them. Uh, DEA states that most of the fentanyl comes from the Sinaloa and CJNG cartels down in Mexico. They are mass-produced in factories in Mexico with the chemicals coming from China. If you don't fight that, you are going to have a very hard time stopping overdoses, and that's where we are as a country. I know Corrine Jean-Pierre has a, bad, has a very difficult job, but just making stuff up is not an acceptable solution.
1: No, and the human tide coming to the border is what makes the drug trafficking more effective. I mean, not to put it in too casual of terms, but it's kind of like football and the play-action pass. When the run game is effective, it opens up your passing game And they know that the Border Patrol is tasked and other authorities along the border with dealing with the people coming across the border. And when you have to devote that much manpower to the people walking or coming across and really even turning themselves in in a lot of cases, there's a lot of places you can't protect. And that's where uh, the drugs often flow. Maybe the more accurate representation now is RPO. Uh, because of the the run-pass option that quarterbacks have. But basically, it's kind of a head fake, right? The people have to be dealt with by the Border Patrol, and that leaves a lot of areas uh, for the drugs to pass through. And the numbers of overdoses and deaths prove that uh, this problem is a very long way from being successfully addressed.
2: Listeners, I just hope you recognize in that answer from Greg that one, he thinks a lot about how to stop suffering caused by fentanyl and overdoses and how to tackle the drug problem in a more effective way than we have in the past generation. And two, with the approach of NFL free agency, he's really thinking about what the Chicago Bears should do regarding a quarterback position and their first overall draft pick.
1: <laughs> See, we can multitask, right?
2: <laughs> it's, it's like a run pass option on what topics we're going to talk about. <laughs>
1: Secure the border first, then the Bears get good. Although with this administration, uh, then, then the Bears won't be good, good for quite a while. <laughs> Which so.
2: one will be we, we be waiting for longer? Yeah,
1: the border's more important than the Bears, but if we have to wait for the, the, the yeah, first I, one. I'd take a bad, yeah.
2: another bad season for the Jets if we could have a secure border. I'll yeah. take, you
1: know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, you got some drama there, too, but we'll deal with that once it actually uh, gets firmed up. But, uh, Jim, on that note and a fun tangent, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Karumbas of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch Podcast if you don't already. Tell some friends about us as well. We'd love to have them along as well. And uh, please uh, continue with those five-star ratings and kind reviews. They really do help us out a lot. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Finally, get us on Twitter. Follow us there. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific Wednesday and join us again on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.